Politico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. In today's feature report, WFHB environmental correspondent Robert Schull speaks with Dan Vest, Monroe County Animal Management Officer, about animal control, what his job entails, and how much he loves his job. And now for your environmental reports. PFAS, per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, commonly called forever chemicals, are toxic chemicals that are dangerous to human health, accumulate in nature and people's bodies, and take thousands of years to break down. You probably have some in your home and don't realize it. If you have a nonstick skillet or pan, then you have PFAS in your home, and when you use that pan, some of the chemicals come off into your food and then into you. Despite that near-universal acknowledgement, Hoosier lawmakers are advancing a bill to change the definition of PFAS but only in Indiana. In other words, chemicals deemed harmful in every other state will no longer be considered dangerous in Indiana. In fact, Indiana is one of the country's most polluted states, according to the federal EPA data. Quote, this bill makes no sense at all, said Gretchen Salter, a strategic advisor for safer states. I don't know why anyone would want to limit a state's authority to regulate chemicals that the world has recognized are toxic and harmful to the public. End quote. Proponents of House Bill 1399, including the chemical manufacturing industry, say the change is needed to preserve essential uses of PFAS in items such as medical devices or semiconductors. No one in Indiana, however, is proposing to prohibit those uses. Advocates that work closely on PFAS issues say the new bill, authored by Representative Shane Lindauer, Republican from Jasper, is part of a national push to change the definition of PFAS so certain manufacturers can continue using them in their products. University of Notre Dame professor Graham Peasley, a nationally recognized PFAS expert, said, I've never met a good PFAS. The bill passed out of the House by a 64 to 30 vote along party lines. Now in the Senate, it has been referred to the Environmental Committee, but has yet to be scheduled for a hearing. Straight Arrow News reports that February is on track to become the ninth month in a row with record-breaking temperatures, creating concerns for the health of the planet. In the Florida Keys, rising marine temperatures have been bleaching coral reefs. High temperatures in the summer of 2023 caused so much damage that the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, added three more levels to a two-level alert system to measure the impact. Per the new alert system, the Florida Keys hit alert levels four and five last summer, warning of the potential for 
near-complete coral mortality. Delicate coral conservation nurseries had to be evacuated from the ocean and installed in, in, in extensive land-based operations. Ocean temperatures reached triple digits in some areas and didn't cool down enough to reinstall the coral nurseries until late October. In a recent NOAA survey of five coral restoration sites off the Florida Keys, several important corals were either completely decimated or barely found. NOAA and Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary created Mission, Iconic Reefs Research and Monitoring. For this project, a team of researchers took a survey vessel through the Florida Keys looking for elkhorn and staghorn corals. Quote, this certainly did feel like a step back, end quote. Mission Iconic Reefs Monitoring Coordinator Katie Lesneski said, Many of the corals that we did survey are those that are part of reef restoration. According to Lesneski, healthy elkhorn and staghorn corals are typically a tan, orange, or brown color. On the research team's journey to Key West, it came across multiple colonies of coral that had not been alive for months. Fewer than 22% of staghorn corals survived, and those that did were only found in the two northernmost sites. The Louis Key Reef in the lower Florida Keys had no live staghorn or elkhorn corals. There is a good possibility that the summer of 2024 will resemble 2023 and destroy the the surviving corals. Perhaps the only option is to plant the rescued corals in cooler waters. In a couple of decades, when you go to the grocery store, you'll have a choice to make in the seafood aisle. There will be no cod, halibut, pollock, haddock, snow crab for sale. Formed, farmed lobster will cost $50 a pound. The salmon will all be farmed. There is now farm-raised tilapia, carp, mussels, and catfish. In the year 14,000, Portuguese fishermen were fishing in the North Atlantic. The approach was to wrap the fishing line around an arm and drop the line overboard. It wasn't long before they pulled in a 40-pound codfish. When the day was over, he'd caught over 1,000 pounds of codfish, each over 30 pounds. More recently, fishing ships from England fishing ships from England fished east of Newfoundland. During winter, the cod moved out of the depths and are more easily caught. Fishing during winter was risky because of fierce storms that coated the ship with ice and made it top-heavy. Thousands of fishermen died when the boat tipped over. Many did not remove their boots in the water because they wanted to get the drying, the dying over quickly. Still, the lucrative fishing continued. Many of the great mansions in England were built with the income from cod fishing. There were billions of cod. By the early 1800s, fishing switched to the U.S. and Gloucester, Massachusetts. It became the primary fishing port in the world, a position it held for more than 150 years. There were billions of fish within the 20 miles of Gloucester. The fishing approach was for the mother ship dropping off several small boats with one or two fishermen on each. Many fished with a long line and many hooks. Cod are not a fighting fish, so it was easy to bring a 30-pounder, to bring in a 30-pounder. Every year, Gloucester would lose a few thousand fishermen at sea. Many homes in Gloucester still have a walkway at the top of the house. This was called a widow's walk, so the women could get an early glimpse of the horizon to see if their man made it back. The ships were constructed in towns near Gloucester, Essex being the major location. A lot of the forests in New England were sourced for lumber. 
By the 1880s, the fleet had expanded to where if you had just the halibut boats lined up bow to stern, a line three miles long would have been the result. A few of the halibut reached 500 pounds and looked more like a manta ray, but the catch could not be maintained and yearly yearly takes dropped year after year. There were an equal number of boats pursuing cod. As soon as the boats filled with cod, they would race to either Gloucester or Boston to sell their catch. Since they only had ice to preserve their catch, it was important to get the fish to market as quickly as possible. Next week, two discoveries changed fishing forever, beginning the long decline of all the oceans. Are you one of those people who believes our Mother Earth is getting dirtier and dirtier from all our trash? Here are a few tips to help keep the earth cleaner. First, stop buying styrofoam items. Styrofoam is forever. It is non-biodegradable. So instead, invest in some reusable mugs that you can take with you. Do you like to eat salmon? Several studies have found that PCBs, which is a class of toxic chemicals and other environmental toxins, are present at higher levels in farm-raised salmon than wild salmon. Look for safe seafood when shopping for salmon. What about those coffee filters? Are you a coffee drinker? Dioxins, chemicals formed during the chlorine bleaching process, contaminate groundwater and air and are linked to cancer. Start buying unbleached paper filters or use reusable filters. We all love to go to picnics, especially when the weather is nice. The next time you host or attend a picnic, bring your own utensils and food containers. Plastic forks, spoons, straws, and all that plastic stuff you see at a picnic are not biodegradable and not recyclable. One more thing you might want to stop using is paper towels. Regular paper towels are bleached and waste forest resources and landfill space. Look for recycled, non-bleached paper towels, or better yet, buy dish towels or rags to wash and reuse. Keep looking for ways you can make a difference. And now we will listen to Robert Scholl talk with Dan Vest with Monroe County Animal Control and learn all about his love for his job, animal management, and much more. This is Robert Shaw. I'm here talking with Dan Vest. Uh, Dan, what is your job? I am a special deputy with the Monroe County Sheriff's Office, work the Animal Management Division. All right. Well, I see you have the sheriff's uniform on, so it's only because I can see your your, uh, patch. Wait, I thought I saw a patch that said animal control officer, but I don't see one. No, I don't wear one. It's uh, animal management, animal welfare. All right. And since you're dressed as a sheriff, I'm guessing that uh, a good bit of your time is law enforcement and some of it's animal management. It is pretty much all animal management, uh, but I do have full arrest powers. Uh, We do investigation into animal care, animal neglect, uh, that's the reason that we are special deputies, to investigate those cases. Right. Okay. And um, so how many uh, animal uh, management officers are there? There's three of us in this division. All right. Can you handle it? I mean, what would happen? Um, well, let's talk about first what area you cover, the county, presumably. But uh, does that have uh, a lot of forest and uh, 
and hard to get to places that you have to be concerned about? At times, we do cover all public and private property. Yeah. Uh, if there's an animal in need, then we are called, uh, whether that be for injury or uh, stray at large, uh, livestock, wildlife, domestic animals. Right. So uh, is most of it you can just drive to it and get out of your car and handle it, or do you actually have to go uh, off, off-road uh, to get to some of these? For the most part, uh, we can reach it just from the vehicle, locate the animals. We, we do have access to a side-by-side for those harder-to-get-to places. A side-by-side is? A utility, off-road utility vehicle. Okay, yeah. As well as uh, I have a drone for other instances that Ooh, we cannot that get to fun, to yeah. get up in the air a little bit and uh, try to locate wounded or injured animals. So you're pretty proficient with a drone? Uh, or do you have to bring in a drone specialist? No, I, I uh, fly it myself, and I don't have a lot of experience with it, but uh, it does come in handy at times. Right. You come across to some dangerous animals, any like snakes or... We do deal with snakes. A deer uh, in a rut? A deer in rut, injured uh, wildlife. You never know what they're going to do when you're trying to assist them. Uh, not to mention scared or aggressive dogs that we deal with on a regular basis. Yeah, how about that? You, you try and trap them or shoot them with a dart, or how do you get it under control? Uh, most of the time we do trap. Uh, we have a lot of training in trying to handle aggressive animals, uh, so we use that training to our advantage uh, right. on how to read the animals and knowing what they're likely to do next. I can see that can be pretty interesting. Uh, once you get them in a trap, what would you do with them? Uh, we would load the trap into the vehicle. Oh, yeah, uh, and then? And then it would go to our Bloomington Animal Shelter. Okay, and we don't know what happens after that. That's not your responsibility. Correct. It is not my responsibility. Uh, but we do make sure that, you know, we do everything we can to try to locate the owners of the animal and get them reunited. Yeah, if they have a chip, for example. It Correct. It makes it easier. And now. they do a uh, lost report to where they'll hold the animal for a period of time uh, before it goes up for adoption to... See if the owner comes forward looking for it. Uh, do you have any cases you can remember that's kind of sad? Maybe you lose some sleep over? Yes. <laughs> there has been a few of those, but any time that you're dealing with helpless animals and their treatment and or, you know, their injuries that you have to deal with and uh, see on a fairly regular basis. Sounds like you're talking about some of these people who have way too many animals they don't, aren't taking care of. That does happen. It's it's really not as often as you might think. Uh, I mentioned that we deal with animal abuse, neglect, and, and that is on a rare occasion. I'm going to take a short break here to remind listeners that this is Robert Shaw talking with Dan Vest, who is a animal man- management, man- officer. management officer with, with the uh, Sheriff's Department in Monroe County. All right, back to our conversation here. What do you think would happen if, if you just sort of disappeared, you and the other, your two other uh, officers, it just disappeared over a period of 10 years, if we didn't have animal management officers, what would happen? The unfortunate thing is there would be uh, a lot more animals not receiving the care that they should. That would grow into a bigger problem. The number of stray animals... Uh, would definitely increase and create a big issue. Stray animals. 
dogs, yeah. cats, yeah. Uh, becoming feral. Uh-huh. Uh, there would be quite the population of feral dogs and cats for so the most part. You play a, a very important role in keeping uh, animals under control. Uh, that is correct. Yeah, keeping them under control, the numbers down, uh, trying to make sure that they get homed is our big thing, as well as, like I say, you know, looking out for those that need our help. Everything that we do is in the best interest of the animals. Unfortunately, sometimes it's not always a great outcome, but, uh, you know, we, we do everything we can, and like I say, whatever it is, we feel is in the best interest of the animal. And I'm curious about how you got into this. I mean, it sounds like a kind of an ideal job for some people. Uh, how did you find your way into this job? Well, as just within life, I, I lucked out. Uh, <laughs> I've been pretty lucky and very fortunate in the things that I've done throughout my career. I'd worked several years for myself, and I'd sold my business. Uh, I'd taken some time off to uh, work on things for myself and build a house, and I wasn't quite ready to go back to work yet, but uh, I saw this position come available, so I couldn't hardly pass the opportunity up. You were living here at the time. That is correct. You saw that position come over, and you said, look at this, and your wife right. said, whoa. <laughs> uh, she actually thought, wow, that is right up your alley. That's where you need to be. Because she knew you're an animal person. Oh, absolutely, and outdoorsman. I so, love being outside and working with the animals. Is that a call for your... That is not for me. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so my radio is going off here in the background. Yeah, right. You got your little radio up there on your shoulder. Every so often somebody whispers in your, right. in your ear. So uh, what what do you think about uh, animal control officer as a career? Uh, young people who like animals, is this a pretty good uh, way to go? Oh, it's a great way to go. Yeah, I love the position. I love the job. It's not for the faint of heart. Uh, it's there's yeah. a lot of things that you see that you would rather not, uh, but it is what it is. And like I say, you know, we're there to try to help those animals that uh, are in bad positions. Yeah, yeah. How about other counties in this state? Do you know uh, whether they have adequate management of animals? I am only aware of one or two other counties that uh, have officers in the position that we have. Uh, most other counties either have animal control, uh, which a lot of that is just uh, driving the streets and picking up strays. Uh-huh. Dog uh, catcher. A dog catcher, in a sense, yeah. I hate to use that term, dog catcher. Well, that's, not, basically that's, that's far from what you are. I don't mean... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's... Along those same lines, but uh, with additional duties. Right. Can you tell me anything else, um, any interesting stories that you've had recently or even when you first came on, you know, when you were pretty new at the job? Did, did you get some shocks? Uh, shocks for sure, yeah. Uh, with the job interview and the job description, whenever I came aboard, didn't not prepare me for some of the things that I was actually doing, uh, some of the things that I see and some of the cases that I would deal with. Well, it's probably uh, hard to predict, uh, to give somebody a heads up. And it is. Yeah, you cannot sit and tell anybody the uh, entire job description on what they may expect because it's going to be completely different the next day. So what were, what, what was one of your surprises? Your... 
some of the surprises is uh, good and bad. Uh, again, there's not near the abuse, neglect, as I was anticipating coming in, uh-huh. which is a great thing. Uh, we deal with a lot more wildlife than I anticipated. Uh, sick, injured. Uh, I should think that them. a lot of those would be deer. Uh, deer. Uh, most of what we deal with is uh, animal versus vehicle injuries uh-huh. that we try to help the animal get it to a good place. Uh and there's, unfortunately, oftentimes we have to dispatch the animal and put it down. Right. Now, if it's not deer hunting season and you come across a a roadkill, is it uh, against the law to take it and butcher it? No, it is not, actually. Uh, you, get, you call our department through the Monroe County Sheriff's Office, and we can get a wildlife possession permit for anybody that uh, has use for the deer or the meat. And we're always happy to do that to see that it does not go to waste, and and that happens fairly often. Right. Do you have anything to do with um, bird life? We do. Any vertebrae animal that needs any type of assistance, we're there. No, I say birds. Birds. Okay, any kind. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, How about bats? Yes, we deal with bats. Uh, Typically, if a bat gets in somebody's house, uh, oh, that should be fun. Danger. We will go in and. Uh, remove the bat from the hole. And how do you got a net, like a butterfly net? or We do. Uh, the misconception with bats is their aggression or wanting to bite. Yeah. Uh, typically the bats are nesting on a wall or just laying there for us to walk up to, pick up, and carry it out and release it outside. Right. And uh, there are some bat caves around where at night there are going to be a lot of bats out there. There are. There's uh we we don't deal a whole lot with that again mainly you know with the bats or wildlife inside of a residential area we'll go in and remove them. Well, Dan, uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I certainly appreciate your taking time off to come in here and let other people know that there is somebody out there taking care of things, and you, I love to see that you are so happy in your job <laughs> well thank you and you know we get a lot of welfare checks as well i'd kind of like to put that out there especially this time of year uh if you have a concern for, especially for a domestic animal please uh let us know we're always happy to check on it again most often it's it's nothing but uh we would surely rather check and it be nothing than to let something go that if, uh, should be concerning so if they're going online to try to Find a phone number to call. What's the uh, URL? It is on the uh, Monroe County's website. Yes. And speaking of the welfare checks, we are getting colder weather. Uh, horses and cows, they do live outside. Uh, <laughs> if it's a concern, call us. But if you see a cow standing out in the middle of a pasture and it's 20 degrees out, I assure you that cow is fine. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much, Dan. Well, thank you for having me. This is In Nature. Skunks are mammals who very recently received their own familial classification, Mephitis mephitis, which translates to stinky stinky. However, there's much more to skunks than meets the nose, and they can't be defined in black and white.
In fact, skunks naturally come in a variety of shades and patterns. Skunks are generally amiable but solitary. Most ground predators have evolved to recognize their distinctive black and white markings and have learned to keep their distance. However, aerial predators like the great horned owl don't seem to mind being sprayed. But there is one animal that hasn't learned to respect the skunk's warning signs, and that's the domesticated dog. Some believe the problem is that the signals that skunks give to warn another animal to stay away, like stomping and dragging their feet, resemble a dog's play bow. But while dogs find the skunk's behavior inviting, the skunks themselves see these domesticated animals as a threat. If you find a skunk traveling through your yard, take time to observe and enjoy. Skunks spray only when they feel directly threatened. A skunk who takes up residence under a porch is probably raising a family and will take off once the kits are old enough. Many people don't realize that skunks offer a great benefit to gardens and are known as a friend to farmers. This is because they prey on the insects and the larvae that can destroy crops. You've been listening to In Nature. For Eco Report, I am Juliana Daly. And I am Cynthia Roberts. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. Finish up the Brown County Winter Hike Series with the Brown County Dog Hike on Saturday, March 3rd from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., Meet at the Ogle Lake parking lot for a moderate hike on Trail 7. Your dog must be on a six-foot leash. Join a roving naturalist on Saturday, March 9th from 12.30 to 2.30 p.m. at Griffey Lake Nature Preserve for a Signs of Spring hike. You will open your senses as you look for signs of the changing seasons. Dress for the weather and wear comfortable shoes. Register at bloomington.in.gov parks. Join Anthony for a Donaldson Cave Hike at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, March 9th from 1 to 2 p.m. You will hike into the upper dry portion of Donaldson Cave as you learn about the eccentric Scotsman the cave is named for and the Shawnee Cave System. Meet at the Sycamore Shelter. The Sassafras Audubon Society is hosting their semi-annual Ducks and Donuts gathering at the Stillwater Marsh Observation Platform on Saturday, March the 9th from 9 a.m. to noon. Come and enjoy coffee, donuts, and binoculars to spot ducks and other birds. Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area is hosting a Goose Pond Reads event on Saturday, March 9th from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Enjoy a free community reading from 
a Sand County Almanac by Aldo Leopold. Sit in the visitor's center as you listen and enjoy the panoramic view of the wetlands. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Juliana Daly. Today's news feature was produced by Robert Scholl and edited by Cade Young. Juliana Daly assembled the script, which was edited by the Eco Report team. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Cade Young and Noel Herhushki Snyder produced today's show. Brandon Blewett is our engineer. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I am Cynthia Roberts. And this is Eco Report. And I'd like to do a shout out to my wonderful husband, David Daly. We are celebrating 31 years of marriage today. Congratulations. Thank you for listening. <laughs> You've been listening to The Eco Report. A volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB. In Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.